It's interesting how incredibly uh, odd silence can be. When was the last time you were in complete silence? No sounds, no noise in the distance, no buzzing phones, no cries from a child, no loud planes flying overhead. Nothing. Just silence. It's an odd feeling. And today we live in a time and age where we're constantly surrounded with noise of some sort. We have lots of distractions coming from everywhere. We, we carry devices with us that beep and buzz at us hundreds of times a day. We get notifications and we get emails and we get that text message that we now feel obligated to respond to right away. We're humans, not machines. And we are created for rhythms of silence uh, and rhythms of noise and rhythms of community and solitude. And it can be incredibly unhealthy for us to always have people around. Also, very unhealthy to never want people around. God made us for a healthy rhythm of seasons and routines. Now, from the very beginning, we needed rest. God made us this way. It's, it's God's design, his plan, and his purpose for our lives. So, so getting a time away, a time has been a necessity for us as humans. But it seems even more pressing now in the year 2018. By all accounts, we're more crowded with more noise, more, more busy than we've ever been before. I, I swore I would never think this way, but it's happened. I, I officially think like an old man. I even talk like an old man to my kids. I say things, when I was a kid, I didn't have things like an iPad or an iPhone. We didn't have internet in our house until I was in college. College! I didn't get my first cell phone until I was in college. And, and even then, I wouldn't have dreamed that I could carry the internet in my pocket. We had dial-up internet. Do you guys remember dial-up? You remember the sound it made, dial-up? You had to plug the phone line in the back of your computer? Now I have a phone. Now I can check the Tiger score on my watch and see that they're losing to the Mariners again. <laughs> we are in a technical age that is just moving faster and faster every day. Donald Whitney has said, one of the costs of a technological advancement is a greater temptation to avoid quietness. We need to realize the addiction that we have to noise, he says. We're addicted to having something going on all the time. Something moving, something making noise, something to do. I catch myself when I get into the car. The, the first thing I naturally do is to buckle up, but what's the next thing I do? Turn on the radio. You know, find something to listen to or a podcast. But very seldom do I get into the car and just drive in silence and pray. When was the last time we turned everything off and just listened? When was the last time we were just in silence? I had to think long and hard. I live in a house with four little girls. It's been a while. When was the last time we, we sat in silence and talked with God? Now, I, I don't intend to lay a guilt trip on you this morning. That's not my desire or hope. My, my goal this morning and, and the text that Pastor Ryan gave me was to, to talk about priorities. To talk about rest. To talk about time with God. He gave me the text of Mark chapter 1, verse 35. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to talk here as this passage gives us the understanding of Jesus' priorities of ministry. 
of rest and, and prayer and solitude. And, and let me say it, I'll say it again at some point, it's a, it's a good and glorious thing what Pastor Ryan's doing. Um, and I believe we can learn something here in this text this morning and apply th- some things to our life and the life of Jesus. So I'm going to read the passage here, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 21 and go through verse 39. And I'm reading from the ESV if you're following along. So I'll read the text and share my outline and then pray. So follow with me now. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The rhythm of rest and refocus was invented by God. And this morning I want to spend our time looking at how the Lord prioritized life while on earth. There are three things that stick out to me in this text, the three areas that Jesus dealt with while he ministered to humans, and there are three P's because I'm a good pastor. Three P's, prayer, popularity, and preaching. So we'll look at those three here. So I'm going to pray, and I ask that you pray for me, I'll pray for you, and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as the body of Christ here in Bonnie Lake, and we ask that you would come and teach your people. God, that you would give an understanding, that you would be the guide and the teacher this morning, that you would open up your word for them, and I pray that you would impact them, that you would lead them, that you would convict them, and I pray that they would leave different than when they came in this morning, and we'll give you all the honor and glory for what you do in this place. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. First is Jesus in prayer. Montaigne, the French philosopher, said, The greatest thing in the world is to be self-sufficient. And here in America, we love that, don't we? We, we love the stories of people who begin with nothing and then pull their lives together and accomplish something great, something significant. Whether that's a career or a musician or an author or an athlete or a self-made millionaire or a creator or an artist or an inventor, all of these inspire America. This is what America defines itself as, as self-sufficient individuals seeking self-glorification. 
But this is not the practice that we see in the life of Jesus. The section of Scripture that I read and we're going to look at hinges on verse 35. And, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus was not disconnected from the Father, and he found his direction and purpose from the Father, not just in himself. Jesus was not a good American. He found his help in praying to the Father. But before we get to verse 35, we have to cover the background. Verses 21 through 34 show us that Jesus was no slouch when it came to ministry. He worked very hard when it came to helping and teaching people. He didn't just float in, just say a few words, heal a few people, and then eat some good food and head on out. No, Jesus was not on a speaking tour throughout Galilee, staying at five-star hotels with a plush itinerary. No, he was in the trenches with people. He was with people that he created, and he cared for them, and he worked hard to heal them, to teach them, to spend time with them. And he poured himself out every time he was with people. When he approached a town, he would teach, and he would open up the minds of those that were misunderstanding who God was and why they were created. And Jesus would come in and preach something that they had never quite understood. And God was not a creation of man. He was not a projection of your own desires. And how many still need to hear this today? To understand this. You see, a Jesus that you create, a Jesus that is a projection of your own desires, can't contradict you. He obviously can't challenge you. He can't really help you or he can't convert you. And if you're going to have a a Jesus who really helps you and changes you, it has to be a Jesus with his own reality, not one that we create. And here in Mark's gospel, we have a firsthand account of a Jesus and who he was and what he taught. He wasn't a creation of the Pharisees and how they wanted to live. No, he came and he preached who God was and their need for him. It was hard work. And Jesus here in the text was having a big impact on the people. They were coming to hear from him, to be ministered to. And his plate was full and his time was occupied. He had plenty to do and his hours were spent with people. And all the time he he couldn't move very far without having someone come and ask something of him to minister to, to them. This is Jesus' life on earth. And when we come to verse 34, it ends with a a very busy Saturday. Ministry was booming for Jesus and his men. And then verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. See, Jesus' response to extreme busyness and incredible opportunities and even overwhelming popularity and productivity was different than ours. His response is different than most Americans who would experience that because when, when you and I experience what Jesus would, an incredible popularity, astonishing productivity and opportunities for us, we push out the quiet solitude. We squeeze out prayer. We've got to keep up with the demand. And and prayer and silence and solitude, they take a back seat. But the busier that Jesus got, the more Jesus prays. The more his popularity grew, the more ministry opportunities came, the more he stepped aside and walked away to spend time with his father. And it's astonishing, isn't it? I mean, Consider how countercultural this is to our American way. Jesus obviously didn't have a very good PR person in his camp leading his schedule. 
You didn't have someone, Jesus. Don't you understand how, how much momentum you have here in ministry? People are, are, are racing to hear from you. Your stock is on the rise, Jesus. Now is the time to capitalize on this, Jesus. Now is the time. But as his popularity grew, Jesus steps away to pray. He leaves the popularity to spend time with his father. When did he pray? Mark says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Even after a, a very draining day, Jesus doesn't just take a day off, sleeping until noon. No, it's, it's early. Mark tells us twice, very early, while it was still dark. Sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus leaves. He had enough sleep, and he awakes to go spend time with his father. And where did he go? Mark says he departed and went out to a desolate place. Jesus leaves the hub of activity, even though I'm sure things had died down a bit since last evening. But he departs and finds a desolate place. It's, it's in the wilderness, not a, not a room with a view. He, he goes out into the wilderness where, where no one else is, and he prays. He gets out of town. He left the action. And he knows where he's going, even though it's dark. He, he finds his way out of the chaos he, he, he remembers what happened the day before, all of the healings and the teaching and all the people that were there in great need. And he leaves this now to find a quiet place where he can spend time with just the Father. Just like Elijah who went to Mount Orab where he heard the whisper of God and like Habakkuk who stood watch to see the Lord and what he would tell him. And even as Paul, and you learn in Galatians 1, leaving for Arabia after he was converted to spend time with God. Jesus here leaves the busyness of Galilee to spend time dedicated time with his father. According to Jonathan Edwards, this was the key to living in obedience with God for his wife, Sarah. He, he writes of his wife, he says, she, she cares to meditate on him. She loves to be alone, walking in the fields and groves and seems to have someone invisible always conversing with her. See, Jesus leaves the occupied to be alone with his father. And why did he get up early and leave? Mark simply says, to pray. Such simplicity and yet such depth to those words. Jesus got up early, left the house where he was staying, traveling to an unoccupied area to pray. And, and a certain amount of detachment is always helpful. Especially the more public your ministry is. Jesus knows this and leaves the people and goes with a singular focus to pray to the Father. And why would, need, why would Jesus need to pray? Well, Jesus would, would spend time with the Father because others needed prayer. There are many times in the Gospel where we read of Jesus praying for others. One in particular that came to my mind was John 17. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17. And if you read that chapter, he's not just praying for his disciples, he's praying for us. Those who have come to believe. He prayed for you, friends. And Jesus also prays to do the will of God. He knows that he needs the help of the Father. And you need to understand that Jesus is not a superhero here. He, it's, it's not healthy for us to look at him this way. He shows his humanity. He's dependent upon the Father. And he goes to the Father and relies on him. And Jesus prays as an act of submission to the Father. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
Jesus hasn't come to accomplish his own life plan. He comes into the submission of the Father. And throughout the Gospels, we read of Jesus praying to the Father to understand and accomplish his will. And Jesus prays to bring focus on what he is to do. We'll take a look at this in the second point of popularity. But Jesus came before the Father in prayer to strengthen his focus. Jesus had to, had to step away, even for these moments alone, to gain, to gain clarity of the mission of God. And we see this later in verse 38 here in Mark's Gospel as he teaches yet again why he came to earth. And there are times when we need to step away to gain focus. This is one of the reasons why Pastor Ryan has pushed the pause button on ministry. And I'm sure some of this could have happened in the context of ministry, but like Jesus, Pastor Ryan is following the example to grow in his perspective on ministry. And I hope you understand as a church family how incredibly wise it is for you to allow Pastor Ryan and Amy to have his time away. You're serving your pastor well by allowing him to pause in this ministry opportunities here, even just for a short period, because in so doing, he can gain clearer and stronger spiritual perspective on what's required for him as he serves the Lord. And time and again, throughout the history of the church, godly men and women pause their normal routine to spend time away with God. And so I praise you, church, for your generous and faithfulness to, to Ryan and, and, and Amy and his family, and serving God by encouraging Ryan and Amy to, to step away. I, I, I'm thankful for the elders here at this church, for their willingness to step up even more to better serve this flock. God is honored in your decision, and I know that as a church family, you will reap the benefits of this. You'll probably have Ryan come back, and you're going to have to race to catch up to him because he's going to be moving. He's going to be ready to go when he comes back. And see, we see this in, in the life of Jesus. Jesus here steps away to pray. Friends, do you ever feel like you're too busy to pray? If you are, then you're too busy. Jesus had a lot to do in ministry, and yet he took the time away to spend with the Father. Perhaps you're here this morning, and you feel you don't need to pray. Friend, I will be so bold to say you're wrong. Absolutely wrong. If you and I, flawed, weak people, and he, the Son of God, and he thinks that he needs more prayer, the busier he got, then how much more do we need it? Or maybe you and I come to a point in our lives where we're incredibly productive, and there's so many opportunities, and we're busy, a very good kind of busy, busy wanting to help people and, and, and wanting to serve people, and wanting to accomplish much for the kingdom of God. Maybe we're able to, to make more money. That's great. Maybe helping people with that. But Jesus here is standing in the middle of the greatest opportunity that was literally going to change the world. His opportunities were literally going to change the course of history, friends. And he believes that prayer was too important to let it get pushed aside. And if Jesus thinks it's that important... If it's that big of priority, and if he increases his prayer when business increases, then where do we get off living like it's not as important? What right do we have as humans to push prayer to the fringe of life? We need to see prayer as the same priority that Jesus sees it. 
Nothing else is more important. Nothing else in life can push it to the, to the fringe. Nothing else is a higher priority, not even changing the world forever. Prayer trumps all. And it's a spiritual discipline. It's a discipline that we need in our lives. Some believe that if something is spiritual, that it has to be spontaneous. But that's not true according to the Bible. We need to plan to pray. And as humans, and in 2018, we need a schedule. We need to discipline ourselves. Otherwise, we won't do it. We need a a plan if we're going to be faithful to the task of talking with our Father. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If you don't have any discipline about your spiritual life, then you're letting whatever comes in in your life dictate how your life goes. Jesus worked hard at his relationship with God, so how can we do any less? And listen, friends, there are, there are no appointments necessary. You, you come to God as you will. You think about that. You have a tougher time this morning if you see a friend from across the way and think, we need to get together. You ever try to do that, trying to match up schedules? It's hard sometimes. You don't have that issue with God, ever. He's always there. He's always listening. He just invites us all the time. And what a great God we serve, our creator God, who who beckons to us to come to him in prayer. And friends, we can't abandon this. We can't set this aside. We need to grow in our time in prayer. So I'll challenge you this morning. If you're married here this morning, sit down with your spouse and decide when you're going to pray this week, every day. Set set time aside. Schedule the time. Ask your spouse to help you to make sure that your time is uninterrupted and that you can do the same for them. And if you're single here this morning, find a friend here in your church and do the same. Call them up. Find a time to talk through how you can work together in accountability to set up time that you can pray and then hold each other accountable. Check in with each other. This is too important for us to not set as a priority for our lives. And so I encourage you to follow the example of Jesus here and pray. So that was point one. Two, Jesus in popularity. First was Jesus in prayer. Second, Jesus in popularity. We can become, in this world, so distracted of what other people think that it begins to affect how we live our life. We live in a world where there are polls or discussions on a regular basis on what is popular in our culture and what's necessary. And we think what is popular is normal, and then we think what is normal is then right. And we get so fixated on what others think of us and our decisions that it begins to affect what we do and, and why we do it. Our families even can have a strong pull on that, on how we live our lives, or how we ultimately fall prey to to what is popular for our families. It's a strong motivation for many of us. Popularity is very powerful. And all you need to do is hop on social media for just a few moments and see the firsthand intoxicating power of popularity. How many friends do you have on Facebook? How many followers on Instagram? How many likes did you get on that last photo? Or how many comments? You know, popularity can fuel our need to be loved and fuel our motivations for life. But friends, have you ever noticed that you are about as popular as what the other person thinks that you can, and then what they can get from you? 
And it's true here in our text. You're as popular as what the other person thinks that they can get out of you. Jesus was a very popular man. We see this in the, in the passage here in Mark 1. That Jesus quickly had a following. Verse 36, And Simon, when those who were, who were with him, searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Jesus is all out of the house, off by himself, praying by the disciples. By the time they most likely found him, he's been there for a few hours. Sunrise had probably come. Jesus is off, hiding away, talking with the Father, but his disciples have a a different agenda here. They haven't realized yet the importance of prayer. They're trying to manage the popularity of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, it says that the others, not just those, but the others, the group is out looking for him. Can you imagine the scene with me? Where's Jesus? And they're out searching the town. They got to find him. They want him. The disciples are, are probably proud of this profound popularity of Jesus. You know, they're thinking, boy, we bet on the right guy. We picked the winner. Everyone loves him. People love this guy. He is the guy, and he's our guy. We get to spend time with him. So the more popular that Jesus got, the more popular they got. Like, we have the inside track on Jesus. Others were probably envious of their close relationship with Jesus. They want to be like him. This is huge for the egos of the disciples. And Jesus didn't become popular because of antics. His popularity was the best kind. He preached the truth. He healed people who were in great need. He was there for their good. Jesus didn't care about being popular, but he knew this would happen. And when more and more people were being healed, the word would pass on and others would come. And the the word had gotten out because it says in verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, Mark is, is obviously speaking in generalities, but the point is, Jesus is the talk of the town. The word has gotten out. Everyone has heard and they have come. But let's be honest this morning, friends. You would have come too, wouldn't you have? It says, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. People are getting healed. Demons are getting cast out. And, and the, this would have most definitely aroused people. Can you imagine if Twitter was around then? Hashtag, Jesus is healing. The word would have spread like wildfire. Everyone would have been down there. Everyone would have called their, their great aunt who had been suffering for years, get down and see Jesus. What will Jesus do next? Did you hear what he said? Who is he going to heal next? And what was Jesus' response to all this? Would would he be swayed by their powerful love and adoration for his healing work? Would he now listen to what they wanted and and seek to fulfill all of their desires? The disciples were hoping so. They they saw this as a goldmine of excitement and and fervor. Jesus knew very well what they wanted. But his earthly popularity would not be the agenda that he would live by. His agenda would be set by God. He was sent by him. He knew this and would share in detail with the disciples. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus is so resolved on what his mission is after spending time in prayer. His focus was clear. His mission was still yet to be accomplished, and Jesus would continue to spend time with the Father until it would be finished. 
And the more time he spent with his father, the more clear his mission would become and the more resolved Jesus would be to resolve and to accomplish it. What's our response to popularity? We can too easily be swayed by what others think of us or even what others will do to us. But where do we find our mission? Where do we find our purpose? Is it in this world or what others think or is it in God? And the only way to understand and to follow what God has for us is to read his word and to spend time with him. And we need to have the same response to popularity and the pressure as Jesus does here. We live in a culture that seeks to sway people to their own agenda, whether through political power or clever words or through the pressure of friends and family with their guilt-laden words to guide us to their side. And, And we cannot be people who are swayed by the popularity of this world. We need to find our depth and strength not in people, but in God and his word. And and the only way to do this is to know when to step away, to read the word, and to pray. It, It doesn't sound too complicated, friends, but this will be revolutionary to our lives. Charles Spurgeon, speaking on this text, said, Let us prefer to be found among the useful and lowly rather than among the self conceited and useless. God will not greatly bless us if we grow great. We may soon become too big to be used. The Lord who does it will not use those who are great and strong and mighty in their own esteem. When the Lord finds his servants lowly like the Lord Jesus Christ, and they shall be used. Friends, pride is the death of all true spiritual usefulness. Jesus is speaking to us this morning this way. Friends, what will your church do in the age of popularity? What will Redemption Bible Church response be to popularity? When the pressure comes from the outside, trying so desperately to dictate what you should do and what you should say and how you think and how you preach, what will you do? What will you do, friends? Are you willing to be looked on by this world as fools? If you're not praying, how will you know what to do? If your leaders and your pastors, elders and your deacons aren't spending time in prayer, how will you know how to handle those situations? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Friends, it's, it's foolishness to everyone outside. Will we be looked at as fools for the sake of the gospel? Is your church ready for that? The only way is to be spending time with God. Friends, do you want to help grow this church? Do you want to help prepare this local church? Pray for one another. Seriously, like, you guys have a membership directory, right? Anyone have that? Good. Make sure you're still awake. Take that this week. Letter A. All the last name of letter A. Pray for them this week. Seriously, pray for the church. And then when you get to know him, if you haven't met him yet, go the next week and say, I prayed for you. Is there anything else I can pray for? Friends, that will strengthen your church. Not just the pastors and elders praying for the church, but you, the church, praying for the church. 
take that directory and use it. You know, in an age where you can spend endless hours on your smartphone, put it away. Don't even look at it in the morning until you've spent time praying. Let's not be Christians who are swayed by popularity. Let's find our purpose in God, in God alone. So we've seen Jesus praying and Jesus in popularity. Last, Jesus in preaching. Although Jesus is is seen here in the text in Mark healing people, he didn't come primarily for that. He came as a prophet or a preacher. Verse 38, he says, Let us go on to the next towns, and I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He came as a preacher. That's why he came, so he can preach. Even as he stood trial before Pilate, he attested to the fact that he came to bear witness to the truth. He came to preach. And then here in Mark's gospel, he prays and then goes on to preach. It's natural. It's normal. You pray first, then you preach. And people today need to hear preaching, don't they? People need to know the truth. They need to know that Jesus is different. There are many in our world today that do not believe Jesus is any different than any other religious leader. And they they ask, what makes Jesus different? Aren't aren't all religious leaders basically the same? Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, gurus, aren't they the same? No, they're not the same. Jesus is far superior. Jesus Christ is the very Son of God. He is truth coming to earth from heaven. Not only is Jesus different than every other kind of spiritual leader, his message is very different. People say, aren't all religions saying basically the same thing? And the common opinion in our world today is that they're all the same because people do not want to face the message of Jesus Christ. They do not want to explore the truth claims of Jesus, so they assume that he is just like every other one in the mix. Most people don't reject the Bible because they believe it contradicts itself. People reject the Bible because it contradicts them. They want to push Jesus away. And they want to put Jesus on earthly terms. That's why in in John's gospel it says, he who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Every other religious teacher comes from the vantage point of earth. And so at the very beginning, their message lacks power. Every false religion comes to the starting line the same way, whether Islam or Buddhism or Judaism or Roman Catholics. They, They say that to come to God, you at least have to be good. You must somehow, in your own strength, merit entry into heaven, the afterlife. But Jesus comes and teaches something drastically different. Remember in John's gospel, Nicodemus thought he was good, but Jesus says, you must be born again. Jesus teaches that salvation is through faith, not works. And, and this cannot be imagined from an earthly-minded person. No, this is heaven. This is revolutionary to life, right? It establishes a difference between Christianity and every other religion. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he is uniquely God, then his message is the only true message and must be accepted to the exclusion of every other message. If Jesus is not what he says he is, then it's incredible fraud, and he could be and should be rejected. A Christian, then, is someone who has seen and heard and believed the truth of Jesus and God's word and accepts him 
in complete exclusion to every other Savior and Lord. Being a Christian means you are exclusive. You're exclusive to Jesus. Who are you trusting in, friend? Jesus is the only way. Do you believe that? You have to do something with Jesus. You can't ignore him. You have to answer the question, who is Jesus? Is he just a cool and clever teacher? If so, then he, and all that he said was lies, and he deceived a lot of people. But if he is the Son of God and his words are true, you have to answer for that. And friend, you need to repent and trust in Christ. You need to turn away from your unbelief and turn to Christ. He is so much sweeter than you can imagine. Well, for my Christian friends here this morning, what are you to learn through this? We're, to, we're here to, to share God's truth with those that we come in contact with. Friends, this is why you're still on earth. Yes, you're here to serve others and to care for others and to help people, but ultimately you're here to share the truth with people. The gospel is to be first on your lips, first to your family and friends, and then to your coworkers, your neighbors, and strangers that you come in contact with. And this is why you're here, friends, to preach. And what do we preach? We preach the gospel. This is why it's important for you to come to church every single week, to sit under the preaching of God's word. And really, it's only a short amount of time in comparison to the hours that you spend outside of this place during the week. You come to sit under God's word, to be fed, to be challenged, to grow, and to take what you have received, and then to teach others. This is why the word is central to all that the church does. You come each week to to hear the word, to sing the word, to pray the word, to read the word. And and the word is, is central to the life of the local church. And then when you're filled up every week, you go out and you preach the word. I had a lady in our church come to, to me a few weeks ago and thank the elders of our church for gospel preaching every week. She said that she feels so beat up and worn out because of the work that she does. And she said that she's exhausted every week when she comes in the church and worshiping with God's people and sitting under the word then fills her up to go back out into the world and to be faithful for what God has called her to do. And I know that to be true here at Redemption Bible Church. And the power on Sunday isn't in the preacher standing before you. The power is in the word. This is how we learn and we grow. It's through the word of God. And we get our ministry priorities from the word. And this applies to the preacher as well. I'm sure Pastor Ryan would attest to this, but in 2018 there are lots of books, lots of conferences, lots of brochures, lots of magazines that come out every single week, and some are very good. And some are, are trying to inform pastors of what they should be doing next. What's, what's the next thing? I'm, I'm sure many have genuine hearts wanting to help pastors. But you, do you know what the ultimate priority of a pastor is? It's to preach the word. In season, out of season. Popular or not popular. We preach the word. No matter what the position is of the pastor, whether associate or youth, whatever it is, you name it. Your job is to preach the word. And when you're not doing your job, then you have failed to understand what you're called to. This is what pastors are to be about. 
They're here to preach the word, to love the saints, and to pray. And this is what you need from your pastors. This is what you employ them to do. Not to get up and caught with all the fads and popular things out through the day. No, they, they preach the word. To love the people and to love God. And that's what pleases God most on earth. Jesus, for me this week, is an incredible example of what life should look like. He shows us the priority of ministry. And it begins and ends with prayer. E. Stanley Jones once described prayer as a time exposure to God. He said prayer is a time exposure to God. And I love that analogy. He used it to describe his life being like a photographic plate, which, when exposed to God, progressively bore the image of God in keeping with the length of exposure. What kind of picture is exposed in our lives of God? How much of God can others see in us based upon how much time we spend with him? And the, and the essence of prayer is not God give us stuff. That's not the essence. And it's not even God forgive us of our sins, although that's most definitely part of prayer. That's not the essence. No, what we find in the prayer of Jesus is the orientation, the position the, the essence of prayer is the searing of the senses of the mind and the heart with the white-hot fact that in Christ, the cosmic Lord of the universe has become our Father. God is, be, is our Father. That is the essence of prayer. That's the center of our prayers and where they originate. And this is the orientation of Jesus' prayer life. He goes back to this and he centers on this. That God is his Father. That's what gives him the joy to handle ministry. The focus on what he needed to do. It was his drive here on earth. It's not only what gives him power for ministry, but gives him the object of ministry and the purpose of ministry. Because he came not to be popular, but to point created beings, multitudes of others, to have the same fatherly relationship with God. Now as sons and daughters. So prayer was the very foundation of Jesus' life and the purpose of prayer is not to get things from God. Friends, prayer is to get God. To the degree you know the unconditional fatherly love of God, to the degree you, through prayer, orient your heart to that reality, you don't need human power or approval or comfort. And those things don't enslave you. you. You can handle anything. You can handle losses. You can handle provocation. You, you don't have to scrounge around for love and for security and for significance and safety from other things in the world. You are free because you have prayer and you have your Father. And there is richness in praying, friends. Jesus came to this world by choice for a reason. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come into the world because he was elected in an election. He didn't come into the world because of a poll. He didn't come because the people said, please come and hear our needs. Jesus 
came to preach the gospel and to be the gospel. He came not to satisfy their desires, but to be their representative, to give his life as a ransom for many. He came for you. He came for sinners. That means he came for me. He came for you. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you can trust in him through faith. And he promises to redeem you, to buy you back from the slave market of sin. And friends, I will encourage you to turn from your sins and trust in Christ and be saved. What an opportunity we have to glory in the gospel, to pray to the Father and to give that gospel to those we come in contact with. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you came, that came that you live with us, and we thank you now that we can come freely to your throne. We thank you for your grace and love by sending Jesus Christ to earth to be our Savior. And we remember his words on the cross when he cried out, It is finished. Sin was vanquished on the cross. And hallelujah, praise the Lord. You deserve all honor and all glory. All praise to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And someday we will stand before your throne, God. And Jesus' blood will plead our innocence as we worship him. Jesus Christ, our righteousness. And we will bear no guilt for our sin because Jesus paid it all. And because of that, because of Christ, we can come to you, Father, anytime, any day. Father, help us to be faithful to you this week. Faithful in our time with you in prayer. Faithful in our witness as we leave this place and go back into the world. Faithful in our families, in our jobs. God, may you be glorified in your children this week. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.